All right. Hey, Hebrews 10, again, in my mind, you guys right now are going, you're clapping, you're cheering, you're saying, great job, guys. Um, thank you guys for sharing. Thank you, Silver. Um, listen, here's where we're at. We're in Hebrews 10. Today, the topic, the title is Real Community. Real Community. Um, we want to look at what is biblical, healthy community. How do we do community amongst the COVID-19 pandemic? How do we do community when uh, our world seems to be so divided? So we want to look at just authentic, real community. Um, This, I think, is necessary for many reasons. I think it's a timely word being Father's Day, being a time where maybe you feel like you have a lack of community, Maybe, you're, maybe this is a part of your life and your ministry that you're missing out on. Um, this, it, remember, we're in Hebrews, where the author is constantly saying, Jesus is better, his work is better, better priesthood, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices, Jesus is better than Moses, the law, everything. Jesus is better. And here now we have a section where, dare I say, he's saying we have a better community. What does that mean? Um, you look at this, the Jewish believers, so the Jewish believers he was writing to came out of Judaism, came out of the law, came out of a system where you must be Jewish in, to, in order to follow and believe, and now the gospel is available to everyone. Now the gospel, the door of, of community with God himself is available to everyone. So we see that this in many ways is a better community because the whole point of the Jewish nation was to be a light to the Gentiles, so the Gentiles might believe in the one true God. And now we see that this gospel is made to all, and now we're in community with each other. Though very different, though very diverse, we have a better community. So we're going to read this. Uh, it's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25. We're going to read this section, pray, and look at it more in depth. Let's do that. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Here's what the author says. He says, therefore, in light of Jesus being a better priest, in light of the better covenant, in light of everything we've been talking about, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner or habit of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. As we talk about real community, um, it's weird right now because I know we're not even together. I know that we're even separate in homes watching, but we still can find a real community even in this moment, and we just want to pray for that. So let's just pray, take a second, quiet our hearts, still our hearts, and just ask the Lord to speak to us today. Father, we thank you for the time we get to even through a live stream have this sense of community. The fact that Jesus, though we are in different locations, though we are different ages, though we are different races, that we are all brought under you, Jesus, that you are the head of the body of Christ, that God, you've brought us together, you've knit us together, and Lord, we just ask that you would move, that you would speak, that God, um, 
this would be something we, that everyone here fights for, that we'd fight for community. That God would not just be okay with attending or watching, that it'd be so much more Jesus. That God, you'd really do something within our, our church that we reach out. We don't just seek to be reached, but we reach out to those who might be feeling lonely, those who are isolated. God, that we would truly see the body of Christ right now step up in a way that would make the world long for this community. So Jesus, we thank you. We look to you. We just ask that you would be present, that you would guide my words, my thoughts, that Jesus, you you would speak to our hearts and that it would truly produce transformation, that we would not be hearers, God, but that we would not be hearers only, but that we'd be doers of your word. And so Jesus, speak to us now and move in your name. Amen. Before COVID-19, there was article after article a talking, talking about the issue of loneliness, that there is a loneliness pandemic in our nation. Before even the whole coronavirus, COVID-19 thing broke out and just kind of spilled into every facet of the world, there were so many articles and so many things happening in our world that were kind of creating this this sense of loneliness, that actually, even in the UK, they created a minister of loneliness, a minister of loneliness. That was their way as a government to deal with the issue of loneliness within their community, within their, within their country. Uh, the, uh, the US Surgeon General came out and said that loneliness is one of the growest epidemics in our country. The Harvard Business Review came out and actually wrote an article and said, those who are socially isolated and those who are experiencing that feeling of loneliness, he writes, it's, it's so bad for your health. It's similar to someone who might be smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. They said that the similarities between someone who has that great overwhelming feeling of loneliness and isolation, they have the same health concerns as someone who smokes up to 15 cigarettes a day. So this is an issue that I think has plagued us just even before the pandemic. Now, in light, in light of COVID-19, it just amplified things. I think that this feeling of loneliness or isolation has only grown since then. Actually, Time Magazine last month came, up with an, came out with an article. It said this. Here's the title. It said, COVID-19 is making America's loneliness epidemic even worse. It's the title of the article. And they have a quote from someone they're interviewing. And here's what she said. She said, some days... I smile and feel okay, and other days I curl up in a ball and wonder if this goes on too much longer, will I be able to make it mentally? Can I last sanely living alone for months, a year? Here's this person who says, I just curl up and I I get overwhelmed by this feeling of loneliness. Guys, sadly, this happens in the church too. Sadly, in a church where we're supposed to be the most inclusive community, the fact that the gospel is available to all, the fact that Jesus died for all, that we're to be the people that onboard people into the faith, even in a church, there can be the sense of cliques, there can be the sense of isolation, of loneliness. And, you know, I, I, I can't tell you how many stories I've read of people who grew up in the church. They showed up, no one said hi, no one talked to them, no one welcomed them, maybe for years at a time. Eventually, they, they leave the church, and I've read articles and stories of people who go, man, I, I joined an inner city gang, or people, I read one that talked about how he joined Hell's Angels and said, I felt more community within Hell's Angels than I did within the church. I felt more of a sense of belonging within this gang than I did within the church. That's not okay. That, that should not be the way it is. It's sad to me that people can come to church, and we have our own little friend groups, our own little cliques that we don't want to reach out. We don't want to go out. We don't want to look out. We're thinking, why aren't people talking to me? Why aren't people coming to me rather than us just going to them? and us seeking them out. You see, there really is a loneliness issue, and sadly, it, is, it does plague the church even too often. And there's a sense of community, genuine community, 
that the Bible describes, I think everyone's looking for. I think this is why we have different clubs or sporting events or teams or jerseys. We have ways to try to relate to other people, and they're looking for the sense of belonging, and yet we're told that we belong with Jesus, we belong with each other, that this utopia, this world is looking for, like perfect peace and shalom everywhere, it's only found in Jesus. It's only found in the community that he has built. Jesus said on this rock, this truth that he is the Messiah, the son of the living God, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. So Jesus said, nothing's gonna stop this community I'm building. This community, this church, this ecclesia, this gathering, these sent out ones, um, the ones who gather and then leave to go bring more people in, nothing's gonna stop this. On this truth, I will build my church, my community. Not on this rock, I will build my nonprofit organization, but I will build my community. I'll build a a group of people from different backgrounds, different races, different ethnicities to come together and to have this common unity, this community that you will find nowhere else. And this is what we're, we're here to offer. This is what Jesus offers. And here, the author of Hebrews is doing this. He's saying, listen, in light of everything Jesus has done, let us, let us, our bodies, our hearts, brothers, he's constantly now using his words saying, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves. It's all about community here in this section. So let's kind of break this down today. And we need this, you guys. We're the most connected generation ever. Like we know it's happening in any country at any point in time, and yet we can feel incredibly lonely. It's crazy how through our phones, we have access to like endless information. We can watch any video in any city, what's happening there, what riots are happening. We can find out little details, and yet we still feel lonely and isolated. And so the Bible, I think, has uh, a cure for that. I think it addresses true, genuine community. So let's break this down today. Three points that we see from this text. Number one, the new community. There's a new community that Jesus built. Number two, the nature of community. What does that look like? And number three, this need, the need for community. So number one, first thing, the new community, the new community. Let's read verse 19. It says this, again, the new community, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having, uh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. All right, stay with me. The new community. A few things he, he brings up and says. He says, brothers, brethren, brothers. He says, let us, let us. He says, our bodies, our hearts, there is a new community that is built by Jesus, this new and living way. There's a new community that we have access to God to and access to each other to. So let's break this down because this is a very interesting text. He says, we now have access into the holiest. What is the holiest? They would know what this meant. We, we've shared this before, so I won't get crazy into depth of this, but in the temple, you had the holy place and you had the holy of holies. We've talked about this a couple of times. The holy place was where the priests would minister. They had the table of showbread, the altar of incense. I mean, there were just these beautiful kind of um, elements in the holy place that only the Levitical priests could enter in periodically. Behind the holy place, there was a very thick, beautiful veil. Behind that was the Ark of the Covenant. And inside the Ark of the Covenant, you had the Ten 
commandments, Aaron's rod, some manna, some heavenly manna, and that was behind this thick veil. That was called the holiest or the holy of holies. Now stay with me, because only one man, one day a year, could enter into that place. And here's what the author is saying. He's saying, we now have access into the holiest. What does that mean? We now have access into the place where God, God's glory dwells. What does that mean? We can now have intimacy with God that was only offered for one man one day a year. That means that you and I can have this experience, this, this sense, this weight of glory, this time in worship and prayer and reading where you go, God is here, God is with me. He says, we now have access into the holiest through the veil, look with me again in verse 20, through the veil that is his flesh. Through the veil that is his flesh. Let me explain so you get the big, big picture of this. When Jesus was hanging on the cross and he was dying for the sins of the world, here's some of the last words uh, or the last things he said was, uh, Father, receive my spirit. Now listen, to this is Matthew 27, uh, verse 50. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and it says, and he yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Please listen to this. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, and he cries out, and he gives up his spirit. It says at that moment when he died, the veil in the temple was torn in two in half from top to bottom. A couple of really cool ideas there. Notice it does say from top to bottom. It says that in Mark's gospel as well. Uh, not from bottom to top. Man could never do that. Man could never tear the veil to have this access to God from top to bottom, as if God is saying, I'm ripping this apart so you have access now to me. Now, here's what the author of Hebrews does. He takes this a step further. And says, remember the veil that was ripped in half on the cross? Remember the veil that was ripped in half? Listen, that veil represents his flesh. It's not so much because the veil is torn, you have access to God. It's more because of the truth that Jesus' flesh was torn, you have access to God. Because Jesus' hands and feet and side were pierced through. Because the crown of thorns was pierced through his head, placed on his head. You see, the fact that Jesus was scourged, scourged and just beaten on his back brutally, he says, through the veil that is his flesh. The veil was torn apart, but so too is Jesus' flesh. You see, the veil was rent, but Jesus' flesh was rent. How do you and I have access to God? Yes, the veil is torn, but you know what? We have access to God because Jesus' flesh was torn apart for you and for me. Listen, this is the gospel. First and foremost, if you want access to God, you need to know that Jesus died for your sins. If you want to know that you can have community, relationship, intimacy with God, it's only going to be through Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is his flesh. Jesus says, if you want to come to the Father, come through me. I'm the only way. It's crazy because in the same breath, the gospel is incredibly inclusive and incredibly exclusive. What do I mean? The gospel is available to everyone, inclusive, but it's only through Jesus, exclusive. Everyone and anyone can come to Jesus. Anyone can repent and believe on Jesus. It is exclusive, but it's inclusive. It's available to all. And so here's why I'm saying this. You and I now have this barrier between us and God is removed. We now have access to God. The barrier in the temple there's always these barriers. The barrier in the temple was ripped. Jesus' flesh was ripped apart. So you and I have access to God. And then here's what that does. The barrier is ripped between us and God and between us and each other. So not only do I have access to God, you have access to God through Jesus. Meaning Jesus didn't just die for me. He did, but he died for the sins of the world. 
So the access I have to God, the same access I have, the same access you have. I don't have a special right. You don't have a special. We both have this access to God. You know, I love how one author talks about this. He says, when you think of the cross, think how it goes horizontal or it goes vertical and horizontal. Think about how it deals with our issue between us and God. God paid for the sins of the world, but also horizontal between the sins of man, between the hatred between man. So Jesus didn't just die for the sins of the world. Absolutely he did. So he died for us to be reconciled to God, but he died for us to be reconciled to each other. It deals with the vertical and it deals with the horizontal of the cross. You know, think about this really quick. Stay with me. The book of Ephesians, which is probably some of the greatest writing on how we are saved, how we have access to God, deals with this being reconciled to God and in the same breath deals with being reconciled to man. So please listen to this. A lot of us know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It's famous. If you don't, it's okay. Here's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. <clears throat> Paul writes, he says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. So he says, you're saved by grace through faith, man. You have access to God because of Jesus Christ and what he's done. Boast in him and his works. Don't boast in what you can do. Now listen, in verse 11, two verses later, he now talks about how we're reconciled to God and now how we're reconciled to each other. That there's not this distinguishment between I'm right with God, but now I still don't like anyone. No, you're made right with God and you're made right with each other. Now, keep reading. We're going to read this. We'll put the verses up for you because it's a long verse. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 19. Listen to what Paul writes about here. He says this, Therefore, in light of this, in light of being saved by grace through faith, in light of being reconciled to God, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, you were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the, the commonwealth, the people of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore by killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow, fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What is he saying? He's saying, hey, Jesus didn't just die for the sins of the Jewish people, but for the sins of the world. That you were once, in a sense, different. You were called the circumcision or the uncircumcised. And we were called the circumcision. You, the Gentiles were a different group of people. But he goes, listen, that wall of separation has been broken down. The hostility between Jews and Greeks has been broken down. He's saying Jesus didn't just die so that we can be reconciled to God. Absolutely he did. But through that reconciliation to God, we're reconciled to each other. That we were both, we are both now reconciled to God and to each other. See, this is the beauty of the gospel. Paul is dealing with an ethnic issue, a racial issue. Paul is dealing with something within the church where, the, where people are wondering, do I have to become Jewish to really believe and be saved? Do I have to join your culture? And Paul is saying the gospel is for everyone. 
despite maybe your race, your gender. He's saying the gospel is literally for everyone. You don't have to convert to Judaism to believe. You believe on Jesus. That Jesus was supposed, the whole idea of the Jewish nation was to be a light to the Gentile nations to bring them to God. And he's saying, and now he broke down that wall. There's no longer Jew nor Greek. See, this is what's so beautiful. The cross deals with the issue that I need to be reconciled to God and we also need to be reconciled to each other. And, and Paul, in the same breath of talking about the gospel, immediately says, be reconciled to each other. Don't you know that Jesus broke down that wall of separation? Don't you know that that, that hostility that was there, the hostility, the anger, the hate that was there for each other, that he's removed that? See, the gospel is so ahead of its time. The gospel does something that everyone is looking to do. Guys, there is a, a racism issue. There's a sin issue. And the gospel says, let us get to the root of that issue, and that is be reconciled to God. And if you're reconciled to God, you're reconciled to each other. The root of the issue is I need to be, right, I need to be made right with my creator. The person next to me needs to be made right with their creator. And if you're right, made right with your creator, he's also reconciled you to each other. That at the foot of the cross, guess what? Um, no one is more righteous, no one is better, no one is worse. At the foot of the cross, we're all equal sinners who also have Christ's righteousness placed on us. That I cannot get holier than Jesus or less holy than Jesus, and neither can you. That there's not like, wow, he's more holy and this person's less. Christ's righteousness is placed on us. And there's a sense where you go, wow, at the foot of the cross, God accomplished everything our hearts long for, which is this unity we're craving, this diversity that we're craving. And this is what Paul is, is sharing. Now, here's what I love. Paul does this in Ephesians and in Galatians. There's a real issue that Paul had to deal with in the early church. And Paul needs to repeat the same thing in Galatians 3. It's Galatians 3, verse 26. Let me read it to you. Paul says this, You are all, listen, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all sons of God. Those who believe in Jesus. He goes, don't you know that you put on Christ? Don't you know that your new identity is Christ? That the main way in which you relate to each other in the world is your main identity. My main identity is I am in Christ. I am a new creation the old things have passed away. All things have become new. And so here's the idea. Um, he says there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So I'm identified primarily by my belief in Jesus, by being hidden in Christ. And yet, here's a beautiful thought. I love how the Bible addresses both needs of the human heart. We had this conversation recently in a podcast between me and Silver on um, the Exchange Daily, if you want to go back and listen. But there's this beautiful tension of you, there's neither male nor female, slave, slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, and you're all one in Christ. There's that beautiful tension of, wow, Jesus, there's this equality thing we see here in the gospel. And yet, according to Revelations 4, every tribe, people, nation, tongue is, is worshiping and saying, worthy is the lamb. So there's a sense of diversity in heaven in the kingdom that there's every tribe, nation, tongue, that there's diversity, and yet there's this equality and oneness. That God's not saying in heaven that I'm going to do away with every tribe, nation, tongue. And you're, there's still that, that identity that we have, that we're all made in God's image, that we all have, yes, the same father, ultimately go back to Adam. But you know what? Through that, there is diversity. And that's a beautiful thing. And that, that, that is not wiped away completely. That the idea that you still retain your tribe, nation, tongue, race in heaven, that is a beautiful thing we see in Revelation 4. 
that everyone is crying out, worthy is the lamb. And yet there's this common thing that we have where we are one in Christ. My main identity is hidden in Christ. So I identify first and foremost as a follower of Jesus, that you, my brother, my sister, identify first and foremost as a follower of Jesus. And this is the beautiful thing that happens. Listen, through Jesus, through the veil that is his flesh, we now have access. He says, brothers, let us, our bodies, our hearts. There is this plural language expressing there's a new community that now has access to God. We're reconciled to God and we're reconciled to each other. Here's the practical side of that. Let's talk about this. That, that means that you and I, as the church, as the bride of Christ, though very different, all the same in Christ, all one in Christ, but yet different. Um, the practical side of this is we should, as a church, look very different from each other. The practical side of this is that we might have different beliefs on secondary issues, that we might do community with people who think differently, look differently at different ages of us. That is what it should be. You know, that not everyone in your small group, let's just talk practically, not everyone in your small group is going to think like you, talk like you, act like you, vote like you, that there is going to be diversity, and yet we still have Jesus in common. And that is the beautiful thing, that that is okay. Actually, like we're going to see in the church, guys, there were people in the New Testament church, you had slaves go to church with their slave owners. I mean, that was an issue that they dealt with in the church, and yet they, and, and Paul's not affirming that, and so that's good, but he's saying, but look at what you have in common. And those secondary things, or those, even those big things, they had to work out in community, in tough conversations. Read the book of Philemon. Read what Paul says to one and says, you need, to, you need to release this person of their debt to you. There's this beautiful thing happening with the church, though painful, though messy, though difficult. He's saying you have your main identity hidden in Christ. So stay with me in this. Um, D.A. Carson, a pastor who writes about this, talks about this idea in the church saying, why does the author of so many letters have to tell the church to love each other? Like, why, why should we be told so often to love each other? Shouldn't that be a given? Listen to what he says. This is such a good quote. It's long. Bear with me. It's so good. All right, here's what he says. He says, I suspect that one of the reasons why there are so many exhortations or encouragement in the New Testament for Christians to love other Christians is because this is not an easy thing to do. Listen, the church itself is not made up of natural friends. It is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything of the sort. Christians come together, not because they form a natural uh, collocation, but because they have been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. In the light of this common allegiance, in light of the fact that they have all been loved by Jesus himself, they commit themselves to doing what he says, and he commands them to love one another. In this light, they are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. So good. Actually, James has a similar thought in the book of James. He goes, do you not know that at one point you were enemies of God? Not only were we enemies of each other, we were enemies of God. But through the cross, we've been reconciled to God. We've been reconciled to each other. He says the church is this collection of not natural friends. And that, isn't that beautiful? We should have a diverse group of people that say, you might think differently, act differently, love differently. You might do these things differently, but guess what? Jesus binds us together. The whole idea of community, that word community, is common and unity. Common unity, common unity. And what is that common unity? That is Jesus. That is the only thing that can bind us together it's that way. To give a true love, where I believe in the church, you can disagree with someone and still love them with agape love. That you can still love them with this unconditional love and maybe not see eye to eye on every issue. 
And in fact, we shouldn't always be around with people who think like us, act like us, talk like us, vote like us. We shouldn't. That's not healthy to the body of Christ. That there's this new way in which God brings us together. And this is for all people. Church, like, I am so thankful for our church. I know that it's been a while since we've gathered together on a Sunday, but we stay connected through our groups and our groups online. And I've ta- we talk to our leaders. We call it, we've been doing some things to still stay connected. And I love that, though, this is, uh, you know, we're two and a half years in, a young church in coming together, that though that this is a small church in size, there is a beautiful diversity that God is, is building together. And I honestly, I absolutely love it. I'm thankful for it because I'm reminded of in heaven how every tribe, nation, and tongue is worshiping and saying, worthy is the lamb. That we have this, the common savior, common God. That we're, we have one baptism, one faith, one spirit, one unity, as Paul says in Ephesians. That this, those things that we might not agree on, those secondary issues, listen, but we have the most important thing in common. And so here's the thing. There's this new community that we have access to a God. We're reconciled to him and reconciled to each other. And number two, how does that new community act? What is the nature of that community? Let's look at that. Number two, the nature of community. What does he say in verse 23? This is the nature of community. This is what it looks like. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. All right, so the nature of community. Notice again, let us, let us, twice he says let us, well three times actually in that section, let us, let us, let us, one another. Uh, this is the, this, the new nature we're gonna see, it's together. And he says, let us hold fast our confession of hope without wavering. And he also goes on in verse 24 to say, and let us consider one another to serve love and good works. So let's break this down. There's two big let us's in here. All right, this is your vegetables. Let's just kind of, you know, have a good vegetable diet. Sorry, lettuce. Um, let us. Let us, he says, first, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. The confession of our hope. So here's the idea. The person that you used to sit next to on Sunday, maybe they're in your small group, um, we have the same confession of hope. We say that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus rose again from the grave. Jesus ascended into heaven. He's at the right hand of God. I believe in Jesus for salvation. I love Jesus. Jesus died for me. I want relationship with Jesus. The goal is not heaven. The goal is Jesus. The goal is relationship with Jesus. We have a common confession of hope. He says, hold fast that without wavering. Notice this, that we have the most important thing in common, the same confession. That the church, the bride of Christ has the absolute most important thing in common. The confession is, I am weak. I am a sinner. I could never be right with God on my own, but God paid it all. God paved the way. God made a way through the person of Jesus. And it's because of Jesus I have this hope. It's because of Jesus I have everlasting life. And we're clinging to Jesus. And that is such a beautiful thing. He says, hold fast to that. Now you don't hold fast that so you can be saved. It's really a sign of you are saved, you're gonna hold fast. But there's that exhortation to listen when you want to waver, when you get tired or defeated, hold fast together. Like we need to encourage each other, like, hey man, stay focused. We're gonna see next week that their homes and land, their possessions are being stripped from them. I mean, they're losing everything. And he's saying, hold fast your confession. Hold fast this hope you have without wavering. Why? Because he who promises faithful. There's that constant reminder in community, you guys, where I have to be like, God's faithful. Where I need someone to tell me, Josiah, God's faithful. When I have those doubts and fears and anxieties like anyone else, I need to have someone say, hey, he's faithful. Hold fast. He's faithful. Hold fast. And church right now, hold fast. He's faithful. Hold fast to your confession of hope. Don't let the world try to divide the body of Christ. I think the enemy is so smart right now. Amongst all of this, like just unrest within our, our world, we're not together. 
I, it, I think the enemy is very tactful to try to go, how can I keep the church divided amongst all this unrest? And that's what we're fighting for community. That's what we're saying. We're fighting and I'm being obnoxious with join a digital group, join a Zoom group, join a group online because we're going to fight for it. The enemy is going to try to keep us isolated. And when we are isolated, you breed suspicion. But when you come together, you realize there's this common unity we have and that is Jesus. And so we're going to fight for it. So hold fast your confession. And then number two is this. He says, let us hold fast, or he says not hold fast. He says, let us um, consider one another in order to serve love and good works. Now, hear that word, consider one another. Let us consider each other. Let us consider one another. This word consider means to contemplate, um, to discern, to take note of. Let us consider, to contemplate, to discern, to take note of. When you go to the doctor, and you say, doctor, man, I have this issue in my back or something's happening. I don't know what this weird mole is, whatever. You're talking to your doctor. You know what your doctor's doing? He's sitting there, usually like this. I feel like the doctors have that doctor face with that doctor finger. They're just like listening. He's listening because what is he doing? He's considering you. He's listening to what you're saying. He's thinking, how can I truly help this person? What is the real issue? What is the root of the issue? How can I address that? How can I be there for that? If you were to go to a lawyer and say, hey, listen, I, I need to go to you. There's something happening. And you're trying to explain your case. He's considering, he's, he's hearing everything so he can make the right judgment. I, I've noticed this when I meet with people or, or counsel people. If you've ever had any sort of like meeting, counseling, whatever it might be, you're trying to listen well so you can know what is the real issue here. Okay, the, and you're listening, you're listening going, okay, how can I help them deal with their unforgiveness? There's bitterness. There's a lack of generosity. There's, a la- there's greed, there's pride, there's sin, whatever, the, whatever you're listening, you're considering. And in the church, I, I, cannot, I cannot emphasize this enough right now. Listen, church, consider one another. Like right now, consider the person next to you. Consider what they're going through. Consider what they're feeling. Consider what they're thinking. You know, when it is time to get back together, when we start meeting again in person on Sundays, guess what? We are going to have to consider one another. Some of you are like, I, you know, the whole face mask thing or so- social distance thing, we might not like that, but guess what? We are going to consider each other. We're going to say, well, I don't know what this person's going through. I don't know their immune. We are going to do things and take precaution because we're going to consider one another. The idea is considering one another is I'm not looking out for my own interests, but your interests. Right now, many of our black friends are hurting. We're going to consider. We're going to listen. We're going to say, I, I, can, I, I need to learn how to sympathize and listen better. There really is a true side of this church where, please don't misunderstand this. We got we to gotta be like Jesus, have the mind of Jesus who, listen, and according to Philippians 2, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, which is the mind of what? This mind of humility. This mind, this posture of, I'm going to put your interests and your needs above my own. This is what the author of Hebrews is saying. Consider one another in order the outcome to stir up love and good works. We'll get to that in a second, but we need to consider one another. We need to put others' interests above my own, above your own. That if I'm here to serve you and you're here to serve me, I mean, you'll see like even in marriage, when you have a husband serving the wife and a wife serving the husband and not, why aren't they serving me? Well, why aren't they serving me? That's chaos. But when both parties agree to serve one another, that's beauty, that's love. And that's as the church, we're trying to do things where enter into conversations that are uncomfortable. Uh, enter into a mindset of I'm here to serve and love and take on the posture of Christ. I'm not, this is not to be a, a, a politicized thing. This is to be a mind of Jesus thing. That's what we're hoping to do right now in this moment. We're hoping that in our small groups right now, we're going to see beautiful conversations that come away from this. Listen, community is messy. Community is just messy. When you really get to know someone and you might not like something and you say, but I'm still choosing to love you, 
I'm still choosing to press in. Just like in marriage or just like in any loving, deep relationship, you say, wow, there's things about you I never knew. The more I get to know you, there's some things I'm seeing. But guess what? I'm choosing to press into that love and not run away from it. And I think today, now more than ever, sadly, you see this in marriages and families. People go, this is hard. This is difficult. I don't like what I'm seeing. I'm leaving. And the church is not called to leave or called to press in. So church right now, press in. Press into this. Like, let us consider one another. Don't run away. Don't say this is difficult. This is hard. I don't want to listen. I don't want to be a part of this. Let us press in now more than ever. Consider one another in order to serve love and good works. The hope is that there would be a true, genuine love from this, that there would be good works that come from this. Even this idea of to consider one another. I want to give you the definition. Uh, Here he says, consider or stir up love and good works. This phrase, stir up, listen, here's what it means. It means to provoke and to irritate. Provoke one another. Maybe right now in today's message, you're like, Josiah, you're provoking me. You're irritating me. Maybe I am. I don't know. Uh, I, I think this is a funny, interesting phrase. Irritate. It literally means stir up to irritate one another. Now, some of you are a little too good at this. Uh, maybe we know who those are, people are. But besides that, there's value to say that I'm going to provoke you in a way not to condemn you, but, it, but I'm going to provoke you to think differently about how you're thinking about something. I'm going to provoke you to be more like Christ and loving and a servant, which is going to be very difficult. You know, whenever I meet with two people, you realize it's not that one is completely innocent and one is completely guilty. There's usually both people that need to confess, both people that need to repent, both people that need to own sins. Maybe it's different levels of that, but both have issues, and you're trying to provoke one another, trying to irritate them to say, okay, it's not how can this other person grow, how can you grow? It's not where do they go wrong, where did you go wrong? Where did I go wrong? And that's what we were trying to do is provoke, stir up, man. And it is painful. And listen, there's a side of this where if this is all we did, if all we did was irritate each other, I get why people go, I'm out. The church is irritating. Like, I get it. It's a lot. Um, it might be very difficult. Because here's the next verse. In verse 25, he says, exhorting one another. So please, listen, stay with me. The nature of the church, verse 25 says, exhorting one another. So there is this balance of provoking and exhorting. Again, stay with me. You might be in a community where all they do is encourage and speak life, and that is beautiful and wonderful, but they never provoke. They never store, stir up to loving good works. Maybe there's churches that all they do is say positive things, everything's positive, everything's good, and they never provoke. And that's, that's unbalanced. Maybe there's community groups, or maybe there's churches where all they do is provoke, 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 and irritate and irritate, and they never exhort. That is not good. That is imbalanced. We want to be that community that says, I love you enough to provoke you. I love you enough to exhort you. Um, we're going to have a, co a, a culture where we say, we will say the truth, but we'll say it in love. And you know what? We're going to lead with love and lead with grace. This idea of exhort means to build up, to speak into, to build. So let me give you a couple, a couple church community practical things. Listen, here's the first one, by the way. Lead with grace. Lead with grace. Please hear me on this. As we provoke one another, the point is not just to provoke for the sake of provoking. Maybe you have that older brother who always like, picked on you and like, just, to, just to pick on you. There's no point to it. I think the church can do that. It's not, that's not the point. It's provoke to love and good works and exhort one another. So stay with me. Lead with grace. Colossians 4 verse 6 says it this way. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. When you're in conversation, how, how should I answer this one? He says, how should you answer? Let your speech be with grace. This is so difficult. Christians, we are to master this. How does my speech be with grace? Season with salt. 
Now, seasoned with salt just means it's seasoned. Ever had a meal where they like over-salt something and like, it's just like, okay, I can't even taste the food. It's just, it's just pure salt. Um, that's, people can try to speak truth, 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 and just pure salt. It's not good, man. The point is it's to add flavor, to season it. It's to say the main dish is grace, and there's going to be some salt there. And the salt is to amplify the grace. If you think what salt does, salt amplifies flavor. It's to amplify grace. Let your speech be with grace seasoned with salt. Guys, amplify grace. I would love for our community to speak grace right now to each other. Um, I need mercy, so guess what? I'm going to show mercy, James 2 says. We're going to have this, this community of grace, of mercy, of speaking grace. Lead with grace. Church, I cannot stress this enough. Don't lead with judgment. Don't lead with irritation. Lead with grace. Let your speech be with grace seasoned with salt. Lead with grace. And number two is this. Be specific, man. Be specific. There's something about a compliment where, you know, it can just sound very, like, facetious. Like, oh, you look good. And you're like, oh, okay. Where some, but when someone, like, actually sits you down or, like, emails you or encourages you, is like, hey, listen, what you said the other day meant so much or how you did this. I saw what you did. Thank you so much. And when they get detailed and specific, there's something about that. Let us create a culture where we're exhorting one another and it's just specific. It's like, here's what I see in you. I see Jesus doing this thing in you, and it is beautiful, and it is wonderful. Hey, here's what I see in you. You're working out some really difficult things in your life right now, but you're seeking Jesus in the middle of that. Praise God. Good job. Keep it up. Let us lead in that way. Small group leaders, hear me, and anyone who attends a group, which I hope is everyone, but the idea is this. How do we have our, our speech be with grace? How do we exhort? There will be times to provoke. It'll be seasoned with salt. There'll be times to say, I love you. I'm going to stir up love and good works in you. But you know what? We're going to be that exhorting one another. We're going to be that. If, if, if there is provoking, it's in order to love. If there's any sense of irritation, it's in order to love and good works, to be more like Jesus. So we see the nature of community. Guys, community is messy. It's difficult. There's this balance of love and grace and truth. And, and know what? It's going to be messy at times. And we're going to blow it at times. And like in any family, can I just say this? In any family, you're going to see the good, the bad, the ugly. Welcome to the family. If you've ever looked at the church and said, man, the church is full of hypocrites, I know. Welcome. You'll, you'll fit right in. It's just true. This is the way it is. And you don't run away from this. You press into it. I cannot stress that enough. We, we got to stop running away from issues. We got to stop running away from hard conversations. We got to stop avoiding them, got to press into them and press into them with love, press into them with the Holy Spirit, press into them with this mindset of we have, what we have in common is Jesus. And can we keep that the main thing? And can we keep that the focus? When the world's trying to get us to fight on all these other issues, we're going to say, no, Jesus is the one guiding our conversation. He's not just the means, he's the end. He's the whole point of this. And we're here to focus on him and bring him into every conversation. Listen, the nature of community is messy. It's one another but it's so beautiful. It's so worth it. worth it. It's what the world wants. It's what the world tries to offer, but they can never produce. It's only found in Jesus. It's only found in the church, this, this idea of unity, this idea of true community. So number three is this, the need for community, the need for community, because verse 25 is pretty clear. Verse 25 says, okay, let us consider one another, verse 24, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. We'll talk about what is this day approaching in a second, but he says this, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the ma manner or pattern, it's that word ethos, in the habit of some. Um, we're not going to forsake as in the pattern or habits of some. We're going to come together. I love what John Stott, a really good, you know, British pastor wrote back in the day. He died a few years ago. You just try to imagine a British accent. It sounds way cooler. But here's what he said. He says, oh, I, I'm not going to do that. He says, I trust that none of my readers is that grotesque anomaly, an unchurched Christian. 
The New Testament knows nothing of such a person. The church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. I can just hear that in that, again, that British accent. He goes, I, I can't imagine that grotesque person who calls himself an unchurched Christian. That's an oxymoron. If you're a follower of Jesus, guess what? You're a follower of Jesus with a community. We're never following him alone. They always follow Jesus together. And here's the idea. He says, do not forsake the assembly of yourselves together. That word assembly is this Greek word, and it might sound familiar to you. I'm going to try to say as best as I can. It's, it's episunoge. Episunoge. The idea is this. If you look at the word cover up at EPI, uh, it's that word synagogue, right? It's that congregation. So these are Jewish believers, and they had synagogues. They had congregation. And he's saying, don't forsake your congregation. Don't forsake that. Now, I want us to hear this. There's a difference between a synagogue, or sorry, a congregation, and an aggregation. Maybe you've heard these words. An aggregation versus a congregation. What's that? <clears throat> an aggregation is a community of people maybe together at the same event. You go to a concert. It's a group of people. Maybe they're a little bit like-minded. They like the same band. They like the same speaker. But they're coming together, and they're not doing life. They come together for an event, and they leave. Church is not to be an event. Church is not to be an aggregation. Church is not to be this thing that you show up at, you like the same music, you might sing a little bit, you like, the, you like the message a little bit, then you leave. Church is not an aggregation. Listen, it's a congregation. The, uh, one way an author put it is, the church is not a bag of marbles. We're like, you know, think about a bag of marbles. They're rubbing up against each other. They're all there, but they're all individuals. He goes, no, no, a church is more like a cluster of grapes. There's individuals, but they're connected by the same vine. Um, there's individuals, but there's this organic connection. So church, here's the idea. We are a congregation, not an aggregation. Meaning, we don't just come together for an event and leave. It means we do life together, we eat together, we pray together, we serve together, we do outreach together. We know, each, we know it's happening in each other's lives. We pray for one another. You're serving one another. This idea is not that we just come to something or here, we log in right now to a live stream. It's different for us right now, but we don't just log in and leave and that's it. The idea is that we press into each other's lives. So who knows you? Are you known and do you know? Are you known by others and do you know others? The author saying, don't forsake the episynagogue. Don't forsake the synagogue, the congregation, this life that is meant to be together yet organically. It's a cluster of grapes. He goes, do not forsake that. And he says, exhorting one another. I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's constant that phrase, one another. The New Testament loves to say, one another, one another. We're going to just throw some verses up because this is the idea of community. It is one another. Listen to this one another, all right? He says, throw the Bible. There's a lot of different verses. Wash one another's feet. Prefer one another. Be on the same mind, one toward another. Do not judge one another. Do not speak evil of one another. Receive one another. Admonish one another. Care for one another. Gifts one to another. Greet one another. Serve one another. Be bear one another's burdens. Submit to one another. Comfort one another. Edify one another. Exhort one another. Confess your faults to one another. Pray for one another. Use hospitality. 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 I made up my own great word. Hospitality. Use hospitality one to another. And then listen, fellowship with one another. Just this is the community. Do you see me one another's there are? Don't judge. Don't speak evil. Show hospitality. No, hospitality. He's going to show this. Live this. Don't just attend the same thing. Don't just log into the same thing. This is not an aggregation. This is a congregation. That you guys are connected by the same vine. That you guys are connected by the same thing. 
and that is Jesus. Not forsaken as in the manner or habit or ethos of some. And this might be their pattern. Guys, of course you might miss something here or there, but is this your ethos? Is that your pattern? Is, is your ethos, your culture, is it that consistency, I'm there for you, you can count on me, rely on me? He's saying that is the church. And here's the point, so much as you see the day approaching. The day approaching, you guys, is really the coming kingdom. The day approaching is when Jesus rules and reigns. The day approaching is when perfect shalom, perfect peace is brought in. The day approaching is when we all want the kingdom and now the king has arrived. We all want the kingdom of love and peace and unity. Everything the world tries to talk about and offer, they try to do it without a king, and yet we say, no, no, the king has come. The day's approaching. That we don't just, we don't just say, oh man, we better hurry. The day's approaching, let's start doing this. It's like, you know what, we're gonna be doing this until he comes. When Jesus says, you know, take communion when you come together and do this in remembrance of me and do this until really I come, do this till really that we eat of it with him in the kingdom. There's this constant idea of us coming together until we're doing it with Jesus in the kingdom. There's this idea of remembering his death and resurrection until we're with him in the kingdom. As you see the day approaching, listen, let's not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And again, there's a need for community. This is not an option. Again, following Jesus, it's not maybe I'll do it with the church, maybe I'll do it in community. It's like, this is, a, it's, it's assumed you're going to do it in community. This is just how it works. So here's something I want to just address really quick. Because when it comes to community, it can be scary. Some of you right now, I know you, you're like the best part about the COVID-19 thing is no more meet and greet, right? The best thing is just, I can't make me stand up and meet someone new. Like that's like your favorite thing. Like, no, we're going to try to change that a little bit. Um, we want to address some lies we tell ourselves about community. So we're going to put these up really quick and we'll end with this. Um, here's some lies, four lies we tell ourselves about church community. Number one is this, I don't belong. This is a lie you might tell yourself or hear, kind of whispered in your ear of, I don't belong here. They look different. They're a different age. They're just different in what they like, their interests, their personalities. They're unique. I don't belong. That's a lie. You belong. Absolutely, you belong. You belong so much so that Jesus gave his body. His flesh was torn apart so you might enter into community with God and each other. You belong. Don't, don't entertain that lie. When you hear that whispered to you, I don't belong, no, that's a lie. When you hear these other thoughts of, I'm not needed, you think, they don't need me. What do I have to offer? I'm so new to the faith, or I'm, I'm so experienced, I've been around. Listen, don't entertain that lie for a second that you're not needed. Absolutely, you're needed. You have a role in the body of Christ, and maybe you've yet to discover that role, and I'd say seek that out, but you have a role, and we are to lift each other up and honor each other's role. You have a role that is so valuable. And maybe you're going to discover that soon, but you have a role you are needed. Another lie we tell ourselves is this, I don't want to be a burden. So let me say this really quick. We want you, if you have needs during this time, we put a form online and said, hey, please sign up. If you need groceries, if you need food, if you need prayer, sign this form. We want to meet those needs. And we've been able to do that. Thank you for those who've helped do that and helped given so we can do that. But can I say, don't tell yourself, I don't want to be a burden. There's other people that need it. If you have a need, let us know. We're told as a church to meet each other's needs. So let us know. Don't ever feel like I'm being a burden here. You're not. We're actually told to bear one another's burdens. So that's what we're going to do. Number four, another lie we tell ourselves is I'm the only one. I'm the only one who's, I've gone so far. I've done too many things. I'm the only one like, like me. No one can relate to me. Um, you are not. You'll be surprised when you press into community. Um, who's, who's like you? similar. Maybe it's the story's different, but maybe the circumstances are similar. Maybe the feelings are similar. You are not the only one, and you have a place here. 
The point of all of this today, you guys, is listen. Jesus bought us at a huge price. He gave his body for us. He shed his blood for us. He bought us, the Bible says, he bought us at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are his. Here's the idea. Jesus paid a huge price for us so that we could be reconciled to him and to each other. Jesus designed the church, the bride of Christ. Jesus loves the church. The church, though, it's failed and flawed. And you might look on TV and say, the church isn't very attractive sometimes. It's kind of, I'll agree and say, yeah, the church has messed up many, many times. But you know what? Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves the bride. And again, it's like, it's like a husband about his wife. You don't speak poorly of someone's wife. You, you don't speak poorly of the church. That's Jesus' bride, man. If, you're, if you believe in Jesus, you're part of the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the church that God has created. That is a beautiful thing. He loves the church. The gates of hell, he said, will not prevail against the church. This ecclesia, this gathering of people centered around Jesus. And so that is our hope, that, there, that the church through Jesus is this unstoppable force. And there's great things that can happen within the church. Great healings can happen. Supernatural things can happen when the believers come together and say, no, I believe in God. I believe God can do great things. Yes, we can meet practical needs. We can meet spiritual needs. We can see dead men come alive again through Jesus. This is what he does. This is the church that he has built and made, and we want to press into this community. So here's what I want to end with really quick. We are in the middle for us, the way we try to do community. There's sometimes there's informal community, which is beautiful, and there's formal community. We try to have formal community, meaning we want leaders to help invest and speak into and pour into and create pockets of community. We have groups that run three months on, one month off. We're in the middle of this second season for our church. So we have a group that runs through May, June, July. We're in the middle of June. We're in the middle of the second season for our church. And I would say this, go online, sign up for community. We're going to post some stuff that you can see, but we have different leaders, um, different days, different nights of the week, and we'll be scrolling through these at the end of service so you can see the leaders. But you just go to the exchangechurch.cc, click on groups, find out what's happening. Uh, find digital gatherings that are happening. We would love for everyone, I would love for 100% of our church community to press into this, to say this is not an option, you make time for what's important, and this is important to me. And so we want to say, listen, press into this. There is a need for community. We are not just an aggregation, but a congregation coming together. We're not a bag of marbles. We're a cluster of grapes that we're connected to each other to the true vine. So listen, um, I'm going to pray really quick. We'll put up our questions in a second, but we're also going to run through the photos and the leaders, and you can see the time on the graphic, when they meet, what night they week. And right now, most of our groups, or almost, I want to say all of them, are still digital gatherings. Some are about to transition into meeting in person, and you can sign up and find out what group is, where they're at in their group. So let me just do this. I'm going to pray. We're going to put up questions. Be a part of community. Press into it. Maybe you've signed up for one, and you haven't showed up. Let's change that. Let's press into this now more than ever. Let's bear one another's burdens, pray for one another, speak life over one another, encourage one another. Let us do that. Amen? I'm going to pray, and we're going to just give you some time to do that. Father, God, we thank you. It is humbling that we can open up your word and study it. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who through his flesh has given us access to you, God that we have access to the holiest, to, the, to this place where man can meet with you, that God, you no longer dwell in temples made with hands, but you dwell in our bodies. That you decide to take residence in us, that you dwell in us, that is so humbling. And thank you that when we come together, we make this house 
We make this spiritual house that God, you're building something called a church, that this is your bride. God, that this is your body, that you love the church and that we just press into this. That God, we would not run when things get hard or uncomfortable. That God, we would not um, get bitter at others who think differently but that we would consider one another and stir up love and good works. Jesus, help us be more like you in the process. God, if, if in the process I've failed to communicate something with my words, forgive me, wipe that from my memories, but Jesus, bring the a focus and attention back to you. And God, I, I just ask that you'd give us the mind of Christ, that we'd have this mind of you, Jesus, that we would just consider one another and lift up one another's needs above our own. Thank you, God, for just this beautiful church, this beautiful local expression of the body of Christ. We thank you for the body of Christ at large, that we have so many brothers and sisters that are part of different local expressions. We love them and we're thankful for them. And we're thankful for this local community that you are also building, that Jesus, this is your church. You are the chief shepherd. God, this is all about you and all for you. And we just want to thank you and praise you and ask that Satan would not get in the middle, that he would not just cause just controversy or just just pain or hate, but that Jesus, there would be this considering of one another, that love and good works would take place here. Lord, we thank you that we can do this, we can seek you, and we just ask that you would move now in your wonderful name. Amen. Listen, we're going to put some questions up for you guys. You can see that. Also, you can see there, um, you can text in a, a number to get more information about groups or just go online. We would love for you to be part of this. Check out the questions. Take a picture of them. Check out a lead, different leaders and times. We'd love for you to be part of it. But that is it, church. We love you. Um, cannot wait for next week. And in two weeks, we're doing like a series within a series. We're going to talk about faith that changes the world. Cannot wait for that. Love you guys. See you in groups. Bye.